Welcome to Stars and Roses, the podcast that recaps The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise through the lens of astrology and the zodiac. I'm your host, Hannah Piper Burns, and I can't wait to give you the celestial lowdown on everyone's favorite reality TV dating shows. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. Hello, and welcome to Stars and Roses. I'm Hannah Piper Burns, and I'm the metaphysical anthropologist of Bachelor Nation. How's everybody feeling? I'm feeling emotionally exhausted. Mercury stationed retrograde this week, for those of you who don't know, uh, in case that explains anything. A lot of things are happening this week. There's a new moon in Pisces, Mercury has gone retrograde, stationed retrograde in Pisces, Uranus has entered Taurus for the next seven years, it's bananas out there, so it's not just you. I was actually uh, on a radio show the other night called Pink Noise on Freeform Portland, and I had the immense pleasure of speaking with my friends DJ Saturn and Mac B about some of the astrological happenings, goings on in the world, and how maybe they can weather the storm, how we can all weather the storm. Anyway, I feel like these two episodes were really great examples of Mercury retrograde episodes, both because they're... Women Tell All is a chance to really go back and sift through everything, and that's kind of what a retrograde is for. It's a chance to, to, to slow down or take a second and look back and, and analyze, and uh, things come back to haunt us. We dig up stuff from our past, and I'll tell you what, so much of what happened <laughs> in Portugal made me flash back to... Uh, and when I was younger, and I have a friend who mentioned that, yeah, it felt like she was, the, the episode made her feel like she was breaking up with her high school boyfriend all over again, and I couldn't agree more. So, with that, let's, let's jump in. Um, well, actually, before we jump in, I just want to say one more thing, which is, I'm really continue to be so fascinated by our obsession with Colton's maidenhead and all of the ways both implicit and explicit that that manifests in the show. And I think explicitly we can talk about like the virgin vote at the women tell all, you know, raise your hand if you think he's still a virgin. Like, wow, that's interesting. And it's, if I were in that contestant pool, I would feel weird voting on that, I guess. Um, And also this sort of implicit thing with the three fantasy suites and sort of like, well, who's first? And if he doesn't lose his virginity to you, what does that mean? And uh, none of that is really explicitly talked about, but it's there and it's, you can see it's hanging over everything. And um, it just reminds me, you know, bachelor, the word, the etymology of it comes from medieval times and it's about like an untested knight a bachelor is like a knight in training and so it it, it, i i like that word for the for the show and because it alludes to trials and tribulations and struggles and i think that's kind of how they set the journey up it's sort of like this obstacle course in a lot of ways and at the end you know you have to prove prove whether you're worthy and um another (laughs) tradition from medieval times is uh surrounds the wedding night and and people kind of like wanting to prove that the that the marriage has been consummated and so often they like well sometimes they like carry off the couple and wait outside the room it's like this very raucous um end end of the reception ritual you know there's like a there's a rituals around checking the sheets for hymen blood and all of that kind of glorious abject uh surveillance that's going on and and i feel like that's directly related to what's going on with us and colton and and his uh maidenhead i'm gonna just call it his maidenhead <laughs> from now on because i'm so sick of virgin and virginity the words and and uh yeah not that they're dirty words, but uh, it's been that season, and uh, I'm, I'm ready to reframe. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I think it's weird that he seems to revert. Speaking of, like, retrograde, he's, 
you know, he's starting to move backwards. And I think his, it starts right before Portugal when he like decides he needs to pull Chris aside right after the rose ceremony, like right after sending Kaylin home too, which seems like a weird pivot, but you know, to pull Chris aside and basically like, I'm a big boy now. I'm ready for these fantasy suites. We don't need to have the talk. I blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, we think, the maidenhead doth protest too much, my friend. And um, uh, it just kind of goes from there. And, uh, well, he's feeling lucky, but he also says he's not a planner to Chris, and it's like, you're not a planner, really? Uh, and I guess he's not. He, I, I'm, I can't really trust anything that comes out of his mouth about himself at this point, because I don't think he has any idea exactly who he is. Um, but... Uh, let's pack all that up and take it to Portugal, shall we? Uh, all of the all of the remaining three women get a really nice package, as they call it, sort of a little you know montage in Portugal, wearing some nice autumnal wardrobe and um, talking about their feelings. And uh, and Colton's there, and man, that guy he really likes his blue. Blue suits, blue everything. It's he's just again. It's like little boy shit, you know. It's like I'm really blue because I'm a boy. Uh, you know, Tasha's first. And what does that mean? What does it mean? Apparently, uh, nothing. But we'll get to that. You know, they take this helicopter ride because uh, heights. That's their thing. And they fly to this this sea cliff for a picnic. And Tasha, let the record show, is very comfortable making toasts on the spot and adept at it. That's that uh, that Mercury vibe that she's got going on. And um, gosh, when he talks about asking for hands in marriage, not just a hand, like he he asked. Uh, he asked Pastor Dan, Cassie's dad, <laughs> I don't know if that's his real name, for her hand, uh, which seemed different from the other three, or the other two dads, and, um, but now he's talking about Tasha's hand in marriage, and it just makes him sound like a bluebeard who collects hands. It's creepy, and I think it throws into sharp relief the problem with the show being that it is sort of orthodox, but also extremely unorthodox. You know, we want to apply all these like extremely traditional classical ideas about courtly love and romance to the show when, you know, it's also about polyamory and nobody wants to talk about that. I do. Um, he's, you know, he's talking about his virginity a lot on this, uh, helicopter. It was funny, Vulture has been doing some great reporting, like I said, and they're talking about how on the helicopter ride, they're talking about Portugal's major exports. Very sexy talk. Um, but he's, like, joking about his virginity a lot, you know, extra virgin olive oil, yuck, yuck, yuck. And I think that's, he's, you know, really ready to release that identity, and so he's, like, saying goodbye to it by indulging in it kind of one last time, you know? He's, like, getting ready. He's getting ready to get rid of it. Um, that was a that was a observation by my sweetheart, actually, who uh, watches the show with me and is constantly bringing fire. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a Virgo and a virgin walk into a fantasy suite and apparently, although he's, uh, you know, done everything else (laughs) uh and really wants us to know that which is like again that's such a 16 year old guy thing to say like i don't know it just seems like he's he's slipping and slipping and slipping back in time and um you know and then he's like showing her around the suite and being like look at look at the bubbles uh it's weird and um before that, actually, to rewind a bit, they are at dinner, and uh, I liked I liked Tasha's kind of boob tape moments, and I feel like I don't know if she did that on purpose, but it's nice. I feel like again, she's so she has such she has such good instincts when it comes to him, and she seems to always know what to say and what to do, and 
I don't know if that's on a conscious or unconscious level some of the time, because like on an unconscious level, having that sort of nip slip situation is like funny and a little, it adds a little bit of tension that takes away from the tension between them because of the significance of the evening and physical intimacy and everything like that. And, you know, she opens up about saving herself for marriage and then, you know, the infidelity um, in her marriage that her husband was went outside their marriage. And she seems to always know what to do and what to say. And I feel like they reflect each other well. And um, this makes, like, they make sense to me. They, they make a certain amount of sense. And that's, like, totally, I get it now. It's, like, totally unsexy, right? To say something makes sense. Um, and I... I I just, uh, you know, they're they're smooth and it it feels natural, but I just, you know, I think he, and this is not unusual among leads, like, it's very classic, it's almost like too classic behavior, like, he's chasing, he wants the chase, he, he wants the one who's withholding, and Taisha is not withholding enough, bless her heart, if she has a flaw, Poor thing. Um, And the next day, you know, I just really felt for her. Like, I mean, I feel like she probably saw his dick, but it must feel really weird to know that, like, she's potentially not the one and and the significance of that. And he's playing it really close to the vest. She's playing it really close to the vest. And it feels really crazy making. And we've, you know, I can't imagine what she must be thinking watching this air, you know, from the other side. Hmm. So then, of course, uh, it's Cassie's turn, and he clearly, you know, this is what he he's decided, you know? He's decided he's going to lose his virginity to Cassie, and he kind of makes up his mind about it, and that is really obvious and he's feeling feisty and you know they're doing their little awkward it's it's not the bachelor until you dance awkward awkwardly with old people uh bonus points if it's in a foreign country and they're kissing on the cobblestones and they're kissing up against the walls and at one point cassie like looks right at the camera well because she's like wow this is weird uh, yeah, it's weird to kiss in the cobblestones in Portugal in front of a camera crew. True. True facts. And, you know, he's saying all kinds of stuff uh, about her. And um, clearly, you know, I, I don't think necessarily he'd be doing these voiceovers, these ITMs, if if he had a crystal ball. And... Once they start sort of, you know, talking, they open the bottle of wine and they start talking, things start innocently enough. They have one of those, I love these conversations that are on The Bachelor about how beautiful it is. And it's just them agreeing with each other. Like, yeah, it's beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, really beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? So beautiful. And I know, you know, what I really enjoy as a romance is blossoming is for on a date someone to open a bottle of wine and just like want to talk about my dad's feelings. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good line. Like let's 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 open up a wa- bottle of wine and talk about your dad's feelings, girl. Um and I understand his desire to be open with her, but telling him that he did not get her father's quote-unquote blessing, quote-unquote permission, quote-unquote hand. She's looking at her hand right there. Clearly he didn't give it. Uh, It has a chilling effect on the whole day. And I understand why. I understand why. Uh, You know, here's the cold, cold center of the hot pocket we've been talking about. We, you know, we've been moving through that molten cheese (laughs) And we've smacked right into it like the Titanic hitting the fucking iceberg. It is all fun and games, really, until Daddy doesn't approve, right? Um, 
and mostly she seems confused as to why she is still there. She's confused as to why he's okay with that and why, you know, she seems frustrated at her parents for not trusting her, specifically at her father for not trusting her. But she also seems frustrated at Colton for going back on what she feels, you know, she seems to get it, how important it is to him. And the fact that all of a sudden he's like, but it's fine, is a red flag. She's said there's no red flags up until this point, but you can see it on her face. This is a red flag for her. And it's, you know, and then, of course, there's like church bells in the distance. And it's hard to tell if that's diegetic sound or if they put that in either way very nice touch I wonder if it's just one of those moments you know sometimes when you're filming like a documentary and something happens and you're just like oh I'm so glad we got that maybe the church bells were that were that moment anyway you know I guess it's hard to be like a modern woman who depends on your dad's approval but you also want to make your own decisions that seems like a tough spot to be in like I just you know uh it's not like that for me Uh, But I guess I empathize. And more than anything, I empathize with her realizing, I mean, I think she, for whatever reason, doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, decision-making capability. It's really hard for her to know what's best. And I get that. She's young. And I think... Her not not having her parents' blessing throws this wrench in because I think she was just kind of going with the flow in a in a in a lot of ways. And I think this how this is kind of falling apart, coming together and falling apart right now for them and their communication says a lot about their relationship. Like everything, she's talking to the camera, she's talking to the producer, she's in there, she's in her ITM. She's saying all this stuff that she should be saying to him in that moment, you know, and she's, she's not. And they have a lot of, you know, they have a lot of squares when it comes to their emotional principle and their communication principle they don't have easy aspects to each other and it's really showing in this moment and wouldn't you know it uh here's daddy he's uh he decided to fly to portugal and intervene again it's like everybody it's like it's like colton and cassie are 16 like this is what happens when two evangelical kids 90s kids like get on a show like this together it's a fucking mess and then like parents start intervening because apparently uh they need to um yeah here's dad he's like coming through the lobby and and civilians are dodging out of the way they see it they see him coming through with the camera crew and it really does this feels kind of like a plot line in seventh heaven not to belabor a point but like yeah this feels like um you know what's her name that's now jessica beale it seems like feels like something that (laughs) the dad from seventh heaven would like chase down her character uh on some like dramatic later season episode and He is there to put the fear of God in her. Like, literally, he's saying, you know, marriage is is second to your commitment to God. God here, marriage right below. Which is sort of like, I don't know, man, maybe family comes between. I don't know, are they on the same tier? I, I get where he's coming from, but that felt weird to me. It felt very, like, umbrella pass kind of thing, if you know what I'm saying. And, um... You know, he says he's giving her a blessing after half an hour wouldn't be diligent. Diligent. That's the word he uses. And at first I was, at first I was really annoyed by him. I was like, you douche, like coming out here to talk to your daughter. Like, you know, clearly you don't trust her or support her. 
Um, but her reaction is so, you know, unconvincing that it both throws into it both throws light on his fears and also what maybe the other woman women in the cast like read on her. I feel like everybody can see it. Like for weeks women were talking about weeks ago, you know, Sydney and and all these other women are talking about how Colton clearly has hard eyes for Cassie, clearly, you know, he's he's got a special connection with her, he's really into her and they're all able to see that she's maybe not there in the same way that he is and uh, they're all picking up on it and he she and him are the only ones apparently who don't see it cuz her family sees it too so he basically you know convinces his daughter that she needs to break up with him because when she brought him home to meet them. She didn't convince them that she was far enough along to, to be able to make that commitment, that she wasn't in it all the way. And that when he fell in love with her mother, he didn't have any doubts. It was totally different. And I, like I said, I was, um, I was pissed at him when he showed up, but I uh, got aside with him on that one. As somebody who found that kind of love, not to be gross, but uh, yeah, that's a thing. And it's real, and you know it when you feel it. That's all I should say on that, I guess. But, you know, I think he's trying to make her see that every second that she's there, it makes it worse, and that the machine is moving and it's coming for her, and there's a point where she might get swept up in this and end up, yeah, engaged. And that would be, I guess, I mean, for me, it's like, oh, it's a whoopsie. Like, I don't take any of this stuff seriously enough for it to matter. But clearly, it really, really matters to all of them. And so I get where they're coming from. And I didn't watch her reality show. I really got to go back now uh, and watch her <laughs> Christian college reality TV show because she also breaks up with someone on that show. And I want to see if she's any better or worse at it than she is tonight because she is not good tonight. She's not... First of all, she's wearing the wrong dress for the breakup. Like, that's the dress... It is, you know, if... For some circumstances, it's a great dress to wear to a breakup. I think for what she's trying to accomplish, it's not the right dress. It's beautiful. It's the dress, you know, you wear. It's it's a dress Elise should have worn. You know what I mean? Um, God. You know, he and he's so predictable. And it, this whole situation is so awful because he cannot hear her and he cannot help but make this situation about him and when she leaves for the first time she says I love you so much but I'm not like in love you know what I mean and she gets up and she leaves and she should have kept going she should have kept going. Her mistake was letting him come after her and coming back. Because, again, every single minute that she is there, it's harder and worse. And as hard as it was for her to walk away, it was not wise for her to, like, renege at the last minute and chicken out. Because now... It's going to get so much worse. It is fucked. Like, when someone tells you they just aren't that into you, which is literally what she said, continuing to share your feelings and, like, double down on the depth of your feelings is not going to ameliorate the situation. It's, like, she doesn't need to be convinced of where he's at. But, in, like total 
high school boyfriend or whatever fashion, he can't help but make it about him. And the more she says she's confused, the more he feels like he needs to reassure her. And he's digging a hole that he can't get out of, as we saw at the Women Tell All. And, oh, speaking of my sweetie, for whom I feel no doubt, <laughs> um, uh, they, t- they made this observation. This feeling of rejection is the closest that Colton's ever come to having sex. It's, it's, the, it's all he knows of getting that close. And it's true. Like, this, this, is, this is so similar to what happened uh, with, with Becca. And I think it's short-circuiting him in a, in a certain way. And then, so then he says, well, we don't need to get engaged. And it's like, really, dude, where is this coming from? Like, it, he doesn't he doesn't know where her doubts are coming from. They're coming from inside the house. They're coming from inside her. And I just can't help but think, like, this this is where your famous gut has led you, Colton. Are you happy? Like, this is what not listening to the advice of multiple people and, you know, not listening to actually your own, like, internal, uh, rules. Like, this is where it's gotten you. And it's fucking Shakespearean. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I feel like this is really the Aquarius in him jumping out. You know, Capricorn, his Capricorn stellium, Mercury, Venus, and Mars have been running the show. He, and Capricorn's all about systems. Capricorn and Aquarius are both ruled in classical astrology by the same planet, Saturn. And Saturn is about systems. Saturn is about routines. Saturn is about accountability. And in some ways, tradition. And Capricorn and Aquarius approach those ideas in very different ways. So we're seeing, you know, for three seasons now, Colton has been very happy with the journey and how it's laid out and the system under which he is working and trying to find love. You know, it's, he has been perfectly happy to play by the rules and in fact enforce the rules. And he has made a lot of show about having his own rules and being really wanting to have a lot of fidelity to these cultural systems and these cultural mores. And all of a sudden, here's that Aquarius saying, let's blow up this system. Why do we even need this system, man? We don't even need to get engaged. What's anything? And I just think that's really, really, really interesting. Like, up until now, there's been no talk of, you know, going outside the system. And the minute it's this system, you know, is failing him. And I guess that's not entirely true. It's, it's failed him. It's, it's third time's the charm, I guess. He all of a sudden decides he's done. He rips the microphone off. He, you know, even later he talks about how freeing it felt to know he was alone out there in the Portuguese countryside where, where the mountains meet the ocean. Damn. It was rough. And I I feel for Cassie. I I have been there. I have been that early tw- I've been in my early 20s and asked a guy I dumped if he was mad at me. I get it. I get like not wanting people to be mad at you. I get not wanting to disappoint people. I get not wanting to hurt people. And I get realizing that that's making it worse. I get all of that. And I also get Colton not being able to accept reality because he's built it up so much in his head. And I think that's part of the problem, you know? He says he's not a planner, but he has been planning it for a long time. And for him to set up all this expectation and then to get have it blow up in his face and get really desperate, it's, it's really hard. It's also really hard to watch, and 
gosh, you know, it's gonna—it's gotta be hard for Tasha and Hannah G too. And I can only imagine—I haven't—I uh, haven't looked into this because I don't really want to know. But I can only imagine that the wine moms are coming for Cassie with their flaming pitchforks right now. But uh, I think Colton, you know, he's a petulant child, and he's reacting like one. He's not good at this. He's not a good bachelor. He doesn't deserve to succeed, and he's not succeeding. And nice guys, A, don't shove crew members. Like, watching him shove that camera, I was like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, that's a second red flag, actually. Like, any... That's, yeah, uncalled for. And B... He could have just opened the gate. They show that later. And honestly, they've been teasing that gate moment for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I guess a lot of people felt fulfilled by finally seeing it happen. And um, I did not because I had already seen it happen a bunch of times. And um, yeah, there have been other moments in other seasons that uh, I've felt more satisfaction from. I think maybe if they hadn't teased it as much, it would have, you know, if it had been more of a fucking surprise, I think it would have had more impact in the moment. Um, for me, the real um, impact was watching him um, lash out at the crew, which I thought was extremely immature, does not paint him in a good light. What else doesn't paint him in a good light is, you know, there are these kind of unspoken rules about what to say and when and and these things will get you in trouble later when the show airs. And I feel like he said a lot of stuff to Cassie that he's not going to be able to take back. And it's stuff that I'm sure he wanted to say in the fantasy suite. And when he realized it wasn't going to happen, he just spewed it all out. But, um, he shouldn't, he shouldn't have, he should have just kept his fucking mouth shut. So now we get to rehash drama that, I mean, here's the thing about the women tell all. I don't give a shit about Catherine Night One anymore. Why would I want to revisit that? I want to talk about what's happened two weeks ago. And I feel so little resolution about that, that it just all makes me physically ill to think about. So... I don't know, you know, it's also, all of the women tell-alls are volatile, and they all kind of, especially lately, have dissolved into these cacophonous talking over each other situations where there's no resolution, you're just watching, you're just watching it happen, And this was, as we know, especially like that. I mean, like, even immediately, it's like Catherine versus Tajwan, and then Onyeka, and then Nicole versus Onyeka, and Nicole's already emotional, and it's just off, off, off to the races immediately. And, um, yeah, I don't actually even care about Onyeka and Nicole. Like, that sucks. Their, I mean, their dynamic is really troubling and, you know, it's Onyeka yelling at Nicole saying, I'm not a bully. Well, clearly she's bullying her. I'm sorry. It's, it's a, it's a bullying thing. And then to have Nina and Tracy turn on her and Nina, by the way, Nina Bartula, AKA who the fuck are you all of a sudden? Like every women tell all, every women tell all, there's one contestant who was barely on the season, who suddenly feels like they need to weigh in on everything and nobody cares. And in, you know, they're, they're always jumping in and mixing things up. And apparently this year it's Nina and yeah, shut up. That's all I have to say. Sydney defends Nicole Sydney clearly has her own shit with Onyeka. Like, they had that weird, like, gong off where they were banging on um, pots and pans and whatever, whatever. You know, they seem like there's no love lost between them. And, you know, her characterization of what happened, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind here, is that what, you know, we were presented with many, many, many versions of many, many different truths 
at the women tell all and they're all true. And that also makes, you know, that's, that's what kind of makes it difficult. But, um, her characterization of Onyeka was, you knew you were going home. You wanted to make as much noise as you could before you left. And Nicole being emotional, being quiet was an easy target, which I thought was a really interesting thing to say. That's, uh, Sydney's like cancer protectiveness coming out. And Nicole literally says, I know the truth because I experienced it. Yeah. We all have different experiences of the truth. And that's why I think it's this like policing and what we're about to see unfold with Kaylin versus everybody, it seems, um, is so heartbreaking for me is everybody experiences something different and the show sets up these stakes that make people want to take sides and it creates that's what creates these awful awful dynamics between people and like i really don't understand bully or not i mean i feel like everybody has been bullied at some point in their life and most bullies have been bullied it's like a continuum right I'm not going to say whether or not someone deserves to say someone was bullying them or not. What I will say is that if someone was telling me to my face that I really hurt them and was crying and, and really upset, my first impulse would not be to get angry at them it would not be to yell at them the way Onyika yells at Nicole, the way she says, like, I'm sorry. It's just the way I am. I'm sorry you have a problem. Like, I would not react that way. That's not my B. And it's very hard for me to understand that state of mind. Even Demi... I mean, Demi is a troll and a clown, and I understand her much more than I understand someone like Onyeka. I'm just going to throw that out there. And, you know, it sounds like Nicole did cry a lot, um, but that's not a crime. But it's, a, it's, I think, the women's reaction to Nicole and the women's reaction to Kaylin are both really interesting examples of groupthink and how... Those, you know, when you're put in a situation like that, there are, yeah, people get targeted for various reasons, either because they're weak or because they're strong. Speaking of Kaylin, Katie gets asked point blank by Chris what the fuck she was talking about. And she gives a very vague answer. And Kaylin's like, you need to name names. And Katie's like, okay, you and Cassie, those are the names. And she um, has receipts. She talks about this specific conversation from the airport to the hotel in Singapore. And Kaylin gives her version of events. And then things spiral really quickly into, like, this conversation about whether Kaylin has class or not. And if it's okay for her to call another woman a bitch. And Kerpa accuses her of DMing other cast members and it was really weird and ugly and um you know what it reminded me a lot of was Brie on Chris Souls's Prince Farming season. Brie had a really emotional breakup with Chris. Chris was likewise kind of cold about it later and the women really didn't like Brie and they thought she was really fake. They thought she was really manipulative. Uh, and I didn't get that impression, and I understood why they thought that way, but I also felt like it was coming from this deep place of insecurity and strengthened by groupthink. And I think that's what's going on here. I mean, clearly, you know, there's no love lost again between Katie and Kaylin, and they both have a very different idea of what happened on that bus ride and in the call, uh, on the phone call. Um... But what I do appreciate is between Kaylin and Hannah B, there's clearly still, they are not friends, 
they have not resolved their drama, but they have collectively decided to stonewall any investi- any further investigation and excavation of that drama, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that they have decided that regardless of what's gone on between them, that America doesn't get to... Like, news outlets don't get to profit off of it anymore. The Bachelor franchise doesn't get to profit off of it anymore. And that's uh, that's really cool to see. I appreciate that from both of them. Um, and then Demi gets on the hot seat, but I gotta be honest with you, like, I could barely focus on Demi at first because I felt so unresolved about that confrontation and that conversation between Katie and Kaylin. And, I mean, clearly, Katie was kind of half right. You know, Cassie clearly wasn't feeling the same feelings as a lot of the women. And I think a lot of the women picked up on that. And But I think it's in Kaylin's case, and especially later when she's in the hot seat, it's maybe I'm a sucker. Maybe it's me. But it'd be really hard for me to see that emotional response from Kaylin and, and see her pain and still feel entitled to that version of events and still feel entitled to telling that story. Again, that's just me. And we're not talking about Kaylin just yet. We're 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 on Demi, who I, you know, Courtney and Demi don't interest me as drama. And I also feel it's kind of unfair. Like, Courtney, it's not a fair fight because Courtney doesn't know how to deal with Demi. Which is very interesting because Courtney's line about Demi is that Demi's immature, that she's like a child. And Courtney, if you'll remember, talks about raising all of her brothers and sisters and... If that's true, then she should know exactly how to handle Demi, and she doesn't. And the way she does handle her, which, spoiler alert, devolves into mild assault, like, that's not how you treat a kid who's misbehaving either. (laughs) So, I don't know how she was treating her brothers and sisters, but you don't, like... Yeah. And it's, you know clear that Demi has the upper hand and she I mean her superpower is that she can't be shamed and you know she also can't be she'll take an opportunity when it's given to her so when Courtney says how could you call me the cancer of the house Demi takes that opportunity to say you're right you're more like bed bugs and like Again, Demi just has the natural upper hand, and Courtney cannot keep up, and that's why she resorts to, I mean, violence is the wrong word, but physical aggression, which is unfortunate. And Demi, you know, in the hot seat, she sounds like she's a shoe in for Bachelor in Paradise, but I actually uh, would watch that Bachelorette season for sure. Like, I love the ex-con mom. I love that she's out of control. Like, I love that she breaks the rules. I feel like, you know, when they pick Bachelorettes, usually they're looking for someone with a little more sass, which is why I think maybe Tasha wouldn't be it. She's, like, kind of too nice. Although, I mean, she will jump out of a plane. Um, so there's that. But I think Demi really, again, she's great television, and it'd be kind of a different... Picking someone who's kind of a villain, who kind of mixes it up, is not something they've done in recent memory, and I think that could be a really fun choice for them. They also really love um, contestants that have a lot of friends in the cast they love a squad we saw that with Rachel we saw that with Becca and it's clear that Demi has a squad Kaylin does not have a squad um or she has Cassie I guess but um and Hannah B also same squad as Demi so I I could see them picking one of those two but 
We'll get to Hannah B later. Nicole then gets in the hot seat and kind of gets a chance to represent herself. And I think she does very well, you know? I understand that this show brings out the worst in everybody. And I think, you know, she had this moment to regroup. And unlike Onyeka, who came off really unlikable, had a chance to kind of contextualize herself and didn't really do a good job. I think Nicole really um, did do that. And it paid off because she got <laughs> a year's supply of promotional consideration provided by Halo Top. Halo Top is not ice cream, but, you know, it's close enough. I'd eat it if it were in front of me. And I love that they uh, gave it to everybody in the audience, including Colton in the shower. Oh, yeah. Colton, uh, they, they keep cutting back to Colton in the shower. Um, these sort of, like, weird Colton cam chirons, and they, like, hand him ice cream in the shower. And um, I appreciate that they're trying to add levity to the situation, uh, but it grosses me out. It's always grossed me out, especially in combination with this, like, obsession over his maidenhead. It just, it's not getting less gross, you know? Um, when Kaylin gets in the hot seat, like I said, I'm not really sure how anyone could question her motives after seeing how sad she is. And it's clear that the women in the audience, in the contestant audience, are affected by it. They do a couple of cuts back and it's, it's hard. And, you know, Chris Harrison basically thanks her for her service for allowing herself to be in some ways a spokesperson for me too in the bachelor nation in bachelor nation and when i'm not gonna lie when debbie gave her a standing ovation i got really emotional i lost it a little bit between demi coming out as promiscuous and being like, it's 2019, I'm promiscuous, deal with it. And her support of Kaylin, and Kaylin speaking to how it's a movement. You know, it was a real... And and Kaylin and Hannah Beast joined forces. I mean, these are like bright spots in a night that was otherwise um, really tough. And it's always a tough one. It's It's... It's hard, especially because I get this impression. I'm not really on the Twitter-verse of Bachelor Nation. I stay in Instagram land, and it seems a lot more positive. It seems like they're just, like, leaving hearts on all of each other's profiles and calling each other such a babe. Oh, my God. So when you see that things are still not resolved, it's hard. It's hard. Um, And you wonder how much of it is manufactured for potential paradise drama but it it always bums me out you know and then it's time finally colton he's pruny (laughs) all the hot water has run out so he has to put on a suit and come out and he says he's nervous i don't think he's nervous enough i don't think he's nervous enough And, you know, it was a softball to open with Demi, who pulls this, like, incredible one-two punch of both having this moment with him, thanking him, and then throwing Courtney totally under the bus in front of him. And it, like, clearly threw him for a loop because he, again, like, who wants to weigh in on that drama? It feels ancient. So much has happened since then. And he just jumped a fucking fence. People, why are we still talking about something that happened on a pirate date or whatever? I don't even know. His treatment of Kalen pissed me off. He's not a good bachelor. He should have given her closure. It's part of the job. Part of the job is to go up there and explain yourself and be accountable for your choices. And like I said, I just don't, yeah, he fucked this one up and 
If he doesn't get engaged, so be it. I think that's probably for the best. I think he's proven that he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And on top of that, he can't even give any, he can't even give her a good reason. And that to me just shows a lot more about his character than anything else we could possibly say or anything else we could possibly bring up. And yeah, of course he admits he could have done things better. And he's right. He could have done a lot of things better. I think it's interesting that he says, you know, just because you're the bachelor, it doesn't make you immune to heartbreak. Just because you're a bachelor doesn't mean it's going to work out. A lot of people are sort of taking that to be portentous of something. Um, And it's true. Vulture added it up and he's the most dumped bachelor of all time. And I can't help but wonder, you know, this happened on Juan Pablo season two, although apparently not as much, where they just started dropping like flies. And I think they can pick up on something. And despite Onyeka, you know, accusing Sydney of cowardice for self-eliminating, it's better than what Cassie did, which was messy, messy, messy. Chris seems to love the bloopers more than anybody else. It's like such a dad thing, you know, to <laughs> to be really invested in the bloopers. And I love the blooper reel because I like thinking of it as just like a bunch of poltergeists uh, in the mansion, like knocking stuff over and like vengeful spirits of Contessa's past <laughs> playing around. Um, and during that, oh, that montage of him saying, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. Um, I feel really sorry for the crew that just has to like be around that all the time. Like, how do you go home to your family after that? It's just so brutal <laughs> being around someone that banal, Ugh, day in and day out, you know. Um, so I didn't talk a lot about astrology this episode. It was mostly recap, mostly commentary, and we are going long. <laughs> and I'm going to wrap it up for this week and do some thinking about um, how I want to address the finale in an astrological way. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at starsandroses underscore podcast. Please send me a DM if you want to talk Astro Batch with me. Uh, and until next week, thank you so much for being on this journey with me, and I can't wait to see where it goes.